Vacations are something uh, I hope that we've all experienced. I hope that you've been able to go on some sort of vacation. And as you plan a vacation, you, you might do some prep, okay? You might, um, you know, you, you know where you want to go, but now you, you get a brochure, you start Googling stuff. Okay, where do I want to eat? Where do I want to stay? You book your flight. If you're like me, you really hope it's an aisle seat or like the emergency exit one where you get the extra leg room. Um, you do all of this work, and if you're even more detail-oriented, you might create some sort of itinerary of, of you know, on day one, we'll go to this place, and we'll eat here, and we'll check out this museum or something. On day two, we'll travel to this other city, and we'll look at stuff there. On day three, on day four, and you go through all of this work Often you've been planning this trip for weeks or months maybe. You've been excited for it. Uh, what, what if it goes not according to plan? What if you do all of this work, you plan, you pay money potentially, and then it doesn't happen how you wanted it to happen? Your expectations are not being met. Well, I, I think that Mark is kind of like that. Let me start by reading the passages for you this morning, and then we'll dive deeper. Mark chapter 1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Sounds a lot like a vacation, doesn't it? Not, not so much. I'll explain in one second. Let me set the scene for you this morning, okay? At this point in history, the Jewish nation, have they've been under the control and rule of the Roman Empire for about a hundred years at this point. 
Okay. In fact, the Jewish people at this point, they have been under the rule of various conquering nations for about 500 years at this point in history. And so they have a, they have a, a really rich history of being conquered and trying to figure out how to deal with different conquering nations, controlling them. But they also have a vast amount of writings reminding them that one day a Savior would come to save them from their troubles, and that Savior is called the Messiah. So they have this kind of this contrasting thing. On one hand, they see we, are, <laughs> we have been conquered and ruled by someone else for longer than we can remember, but the Messiah, the Savior, the person that's going to save us is going to arrive one day. I was recently watching a TV show, and it was a travel show. This travel show, uh, the, the host was very, very excited to travel to a country, uh, and it was Denmark. He was going to Denmark, and if you're a foodie, if you're interested in kind of high-end restaurants, it, maybe if you hear the word, or the country, Denmark you might be thinking about, or maybe you've heard of one of the most famous restaurants in the world, and that is, it's called Noma. Noma is this, um, Noma's this restaurant that is world-renowned. They actually won world's best restaurant uh, for four years. It is a fantastic place, and so this host, uh, yes, he was going there for his job, but he said, I've been waiting for this day for years and years and years, and I finally get the opportunity to go to this restaurant. And so he has these expectations in his mind. He's, I know what Noma's going to look like, and I've been looking at their menu, and I've looked at different documentaries on it, and I'm so excited. And so he and his film crew, they travel across the Atlantic, and they go to Noma, and it's closed for renovations. Uh, it's pretty awful. And so for the majority of this TV show... It's just him being really sad that he doesn't get to see Noma, this thing that he's been waiting for for so many years, and it's closed for renovations. Like, what? What? That's a pretty awful vacation. The Israelites are in a very similar position where they are conquered, and they are waiting for their Messiah, for the person that the prophets of the Old Testament have been declaring will come at some point. And so all of the Israelites, they are aware of these prophecies. They know the prophecies inside and out. They know all about them, and now they're waiting for that to happen. Mark begins his book by quoting one of these prophecies. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And then Mark says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Before we get to see the Messiah, Mark is saying, first, a series of events have to take place. We need to see the messenger first. And if the Messiah is going to be someone powerful and able to save them, then the messenger is probably going to be someone powerful and mighty to show exactly who's going to come after. But it looks a little bit different for Mark. Mark says 
the messenger is going to appear out of the wilderness. And then right after, he says, and who appears out of the wilderness? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is here. John the Baptist is the messenger. John is preparing the way for the Messiah. John is preaching about forgiveness of sins. He is baptizing people. And like a very prestigious and mighty messenger, he's doing it in the most fashionable way possible, wearing a cameled hair, like the most scratchy Christmas sweater you could possibly imagine. He's, yeah, it's, it's awful. And he has a belt to tie it all together. That's, that's the messenger of this waited-for Messiah, John the Baptist. Mark, I think, is making a very bold claim in the first section of this chapter, and that is... As he's talking to his audience, he's saying, you all know the prophecies. You have read them. You are waiting for them. And I'm making the bold claim that they are happening right before your eyes. You just have to wait and see what happens. Okay? He says the messenger is here. And now we get to see the Messiah. But who's, who is the Messiah going to be? That's the type of image he's trying to put in his audience's mind. Who is the Messiah? We see this messenger, and now introducing somebody. That's the type of narrative he's trying to create. He's basically saying, we've seen John the Baptist appear out of the wilderness, and now the Messiah is going to come strolling over that hill and introducing the Messiah, and it's this type of person. This is the picture that he had. And in fact, he's really trying to call upon a common cycle that was happening in the Jewish nation at this point. As they were waiting for the Messiah, as they were understanding that the Messiah is going to come and save them, save the people of Israel, this cycle kept happening. Basically, someone would come strolling over the hill, would rise up, and they would declare, I'm the Messiah. I'm here. They would do some sort of Braveheart-style speech about freedom. They would build an army. They would go and attack the Romans. They would lose. All of the followers would run away. And the so-called Messiah would be captured and executed. And all of the people in Israel would say, guess he wasn't the Messiah. Then another person would rise up and say, that, that guy was a fraud, but I'm the Messiah. They would do some other you know, speech. They would get some weapons ready, build an army. They would go attack the Romans. The Romans would win. They would all run away. The leader would be captured and executed. And all of the people in Israel would say, guess he wasn't the Messiah. In fact, there was a true story. Uh, this is his real God-given name. There was a guy that rose up His name was The Hammer. It's a pretty awesome name for the Messiah, I think. The Hammer rises up and he says, Guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm here to beat the Romans, to kick them out of our country. He gave some awesome speeches. They got some weapons ready. They charged and attacked the Romans. And they lost. And all of his followers ran away. And he was captured and executed. And... All of the people in Israel said, guess he wasn't the Messiah either. This is a cycle that's going on in Israel at this point. And so really, they're trying to wait and see who's going to come strolling over that hill and actually 
be the Messiah? What is the Messiah going to look like? In fact, this cycle really solidified what the Israelites expected the Messiah to look like and act like and talk like. And the two options that they had was that the Messiah would either have to be some sort of rich and powerful king from the line of King David. He would come in on a white horse and there would be trumpets and he would be regal and there would be a red carpet you know, rolling out before him. Or, if it's not going to be a king, it needs to be a mighty soldier. Someone courageous, you know, covered in scars from their experience in battle with terrifying weapons and able to kick the Romans out of their country. Those are the only two options that the Israelites thought of at this point. We get one of those. When the Messiah comes, it's got to be a king or a soldier. And so Mark begins by quoting Isaiah. He's prophesying a messenger. Um, He has his audience thinking about this cycle. And then in verse chapter 7, or sorry, in verse 7, Mark says, the words of John the Baptist. He says, After me comes someone, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This person is so mighty and so powerful, I can't even untie their sandals. And then, drumroll please, introducing the powerful Messiah, and Jesus walks over the hill. Jesus comes from the bad part of town, He doesn't look like a rich and powerful ruler or a mighty soldier. He looks like a normal guy. He's wearing normal clothes. He's got sand-covered sandals on his feet. He doesn't give a battle cry speech on war. Instead, he gives speeches on compassion. He doesn't come forming an army, but instead he comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. This is a very different picture than his audience would be expecting. They're expecting, drum roll please, trumpet sounding, and here's the mighty king soldier, and Jesus shows up. They're expecting rough and tough rich guy, and instead they get Joe Blow Jesus. Expecting humble. They're expecting battle cries, and instead they get speeches on compassion. They're expecting a one-time fix of the Roman problem. And instead, Jesus says, I've got way more planned for you than you could ever imagine. You're thinking way too small. Stop thinking so small. That TV host who went to Denmark, he was thinking way too small. He arrived in Denmark ready to eat at the world's best restaurant He had expectations in his mind of what it's going to taste like, what the building is going to look like. All of it he was ready for. I bet you he could quote the menu. He had these high expectations. And remember, he shows up and it's closed for renovations. It's closed for renovations. Instead of seeing the world's best restaurant, he actually sees a sign that says, we've moved. We're renovating right now. Come back later really hard to, how do you deal with that? How do you spend all that money and all that time to see a we're closed sign? But then, Noma surprises him. 
Rather than all of those chefs and cooks and waiters and waitresses all working together in the Noma restaurant where he could have a world-class meal, during the renovations, they actually decided, well, let's do our own thing. And so all across the city and all across the country, these little Noma pop-ups start happening. And so there's a world-class taco stand that pops up and he eats there. And there's a world-class seafood restaurant and he eats there. And I think the most amazing, there's a pop-up restaurant built under a bridge that he gets to go see. And so rather than showing up to have one world-class meal, he gets to see all of these different world-class chefs doing what they love. He's thinking too small. He had a picture of what to expect and what was possible of a restaurant. And they said, I've got something bigger planned for you. You're thinking way too small here. Stop thinking so small. And as I was preparing this sermon and as I was watching this TV show, I got thinking about how often uh, we do the same thing with God. How often we put God in a box, the God of the universe, the God who made the universe, we put him in a box. And we think, you know, well, God wouldn't do that. that. Yeah, there's no way that God would do that. God doesn't care about that small detail. God probably doesn't hear that prayer or care about that prayer or, or care about that part of my life. Uh, maybe some people have thought, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. Really, it's all on me. Why does the God of the universe really care about my specific life? Or maybe I need to keep doing more for God or he's going to lose interest. We put God in a box. Or maybe, like the Israelites, we're looking for that temporary fix. We say, uh, okay, God, I don't want you to change my whole life, but you can fix that one thing for me, okay? I'd really like to feel good this weekend, so make that happen, okay? And God looks at you and says, I've got something far bigger planned for you. You're thinking way too small. Stop thinking so small. The people at Noma, stop thinking so small. You wanted one restaurant? How about world-class restaurants all over the city? Mark's audience was thinking way too small. They said, we need a soldier to defeat the Romans and give us our country back. And Jesus said, I'm here to give you a new country, an eternal country, a country that can never be defeated. They said, okay, but this is really important to us. We need a king, and when you have a king, you need a crown, and when you have a crown, you probably need some awesome fortress, and you need a fancy gold-covered temple to show that we're really impressive. And Jesus says, you're thinking too small. How about me your eternal king with an eternal crown and you are my temple. You are my temple. The people were thinking way too small. They wanted a quick fix and instead God had something far bigger planned. And I think because they were thinking way too small, the next part of the story probably blew their minds. It says... At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. That's the bad part of the town. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You're thinking too small. They wanted a king to rebuild their city. And Jesus said, how about a God king who built the universe? Stop thinking so small. Verse 14 then says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, I'd humbly like to disagree with the translator of the NIV Bible for a second, if that's okay with you. Um, I have a revised version here that I think shows better what was happening. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee being the good news of God. Jesus wasn't just talking about the good news. Jesus is the good news of God. And Jesus traveled from city to city. He empowered men and women to live lives far bigger than they could imagine. He empowered them to live lives living shoulder to shoulder with the God of the universe. He partied with sinners. He forgave sins. He reminded everyone, you're thinking way too small. God has big plans for you and big plans for us and big plans for the world and big plans for the universe. Stop thinking so small and follow me. Trust me, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be amazing. Worship team, I'm just finishing up. Those big plans that God had in store for his people, I think Jesus showed in a very powerful way. Jesus proved just how big God's plans were. Jesus was led to a cross. Jesus was nailed to it. And he died, not just so that the Israelites, not just so that the Romans, not just so that the Europeans or the Africans or the Canadians or the Americans could be saved. But Jesus went to that cross so that the entire world and the entire universe would be saved and redeemed and restored because God has big plans for us and big plans for the universe. He's the God King that changed history. Let me say that again. Jesus is the God King that changed history. And He's the reason that each of us can have good news during this Christmas season. He's the reason that we can be saved and restored. He's the reason that this planet can be restored and the earth and the world and every country and every family and every community. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is that Messiah. And we need to stop putting God in a box or looking for that temporary fix. We need to stop looking at God with our expectations, oh, you know, the Messiah has to be a soldier or a king because Jesus says, you're thinking too small. I've got something way better planned for you. I'm the God King who built the universe and I'm on your side. And I think, 
the best way to summarize who God is and how God affects our lives is through a quote from one of my favorite musicians, and it goes like this. Let God be wild, and let me be free. <laughs>